As you know, life is a journey. And the road, the road we travel is often grueling. At times, we, found, we find that our road may be shrouded by a thick cloud of confusion. At other times, the road we travel is littered with the boulders of anxiety and worry and fear. Sometimes we stroll through a stretch of road where, we're, we're, where we enjoy the gentle breezes of contentment. Other times we face a section of road full of twists and turns with the villains of leukemia, miscarriages, Alzheimer's, and COPD lurking and lying in wait. Other times the underbrush is, of despondency is so thick you don't see where the road is supposed to go. And in still other times, we experience the gentle reviving rain of good times with good friends over many decades. Whatever road, whatever road you're on, this road of life, wherever it takes you, the Psalms serves as a guidebook for that journey. In the Psalter, we have the songs and the prayers of saints who have traveled the same road we are on. This book records the songs and the prayers of the saints who were ashamed, who were afraid, who were sinful, who were isolated, who were grateful, who were bored, who were besieged, and everything else in between. The psalms are their songs and their prayers. Our goal this summer as we consider the Psalms, is to make their songs and prayers ours. That's our goal. Their songs, their prayers, our songs, our prayers. That's our goal. Luther, Martin Luther, the famous reformer, loved the Psalms and lived in the Psalms. And he describes how they can help us all. He says, the human heart is like a ship on a stormy sea driven about by winds blowing from all four corners of heaven. The book of Psalms is full of heartfelt utterances made during storms of this kind. Where can one find nobler words to express joy than in the Psalms of praise or gratitude? In them, you can see into the hearts of saints as if you were looking at a lovely pleasure garden or gazing into heaven. How fair and charming and delightful are the flowers you will find there. And today we start at the beginning to begin to discover some of those charming, delightful flowers within. And we're going to start by considering Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is, as its title indicates, the first psalm. It is the introduction to this whole book. Now, this introduction is a little different than we might expect. I just told you the book of the Psalms, the Psalter, is a recording of the songs and prayers of saints who have gone before us. Psalm 1, Psalm 1 is not a song, nor is it a prayer. This Psalm has a different goal in mind. This Psalm is going to introduce us to the only two kinds of people that there are, and the only two kinds of roads that there are. There are only two kinds of people in this world, not extrovert and introvert, 
Not the old and the young or the cynical and naive or the American and everybody else or the Republican and Democrats or the poor and the rich or the intelligent and the dullards. No, this psalm consistently divides humanity into two groups, the righteous and the wicked. Those are the only two kinds of people that exist. And these are the only, and and we might say that there are only two roads that, that people travel on, the road of the righteous and the road of the wicked. The righteous are not those who who are perfect, but they trust God most of all. Those on the road of wickedness are not as bad as they could be, but trust themselves more than anyone else. Psalm 1 calls us from ages gone by to listen. If I were to summarize the main point in one sentence, it would be this. Entrust yourself to Jesus and you will be happy. You want to be happy? You want to be fulfilled? You want to live a life that you feel like, man, this matters? Trust Jesus and walk the road of righteousness. I'm going to read it, and we're going to consider it in two points this morning. I'm going to read beginning in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read the whole psalm. If you have the English Standard Version, that's the version I'm reading from. God's Word says, Blessed is the man, blessed is the man or woman, should read, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Our goal is not merely to learn, but we can look on the internet if we want to learn things or read books. But what we want to do is interact and encounter you. And Lord, your prescribed way of interacting and encountering you is in the gathering of your church, the singing, praying, and preaching of your word, And you promised to bless that. And so we pray for that blessing here today, this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be those people who entrust our happiness to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Two points we consider this morning as we consider the two kinds of people and the two roads that people take. First, we have our guide or your guide and your end. Your guide and your end. First, your guide. Your guide on this road is instruction. This is what we see in verse 2. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, when we hear the word law, we're apt to think the opposite of grace. That is generally not the case in the Bible, and it's especially not the case here. The delight the psalmist is referring to is the instruction of the Lord. 
See, we think laws just tell us what we cannot do. The instruction of the Lord directs us in both how to live and what to love, in what to avoid and what to cling to, in how to think and how not to think. The instruction of the Lord is our guide through life. And the psalmist says, if you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled, be one who takes delight in the instruction of the Word, of the Lord. And so, what's the effect of this kind of guidance? It's happiness. Look at verse 1. Blessed could be translated or rendered happy is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and so on. Blessed is one of those churchy words that doesn't often seem to intersect with normal life on forgettable Tuesday afternoons. But the idea here is happiness. The psalmist stands here at the beginning of the book and says, listen, you're about to walk into this book where you're going to overhear the songs and the prayers of the saints. And I want you to recognize that these are people who are imperfect. These are people who had trouble. These are people who faced things they never thought they would have to face. And yet they trusted the Lord. And they said, I will trust the Lord with my happiness. And the psalmist says, do you want to be happy? Look away from yourself and look instead to the Lord. I want to be happy, and I know you do too. I don't want to just be distracted or constantly looking ahead to the next thing that might strike my fancy. I want to be happy and not escape reality. I want to be happy and not just go through the motions of life. So how do we do this? How do we pursue happiness? Well, the happy, the blessed person... The blessed man and the blessed woman are first marked by what they do not do. Did you see that? Verse 1, blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice, it tells us what the, 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 the godly person does not do. Those that want to be happy walk not, stand not, and sit not. So what does that mean? They walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, this means that the righteous ones do not live by the counsel or wisdom or conventional wisdom of the fallen world. This does not mean that individual unbelievers have no wisdom to offer. Rather, it means that the system they adhere to is broken and fallen. You see, when you live in the world and buy into the idea that the happiness we want can be achieved in this life and only this life, that lie is a lie that's perpetuated through all elements of society. This doesn't mean that Warren Buffett doesn't have some good ideas on how to invest. But he doesn't know the key to life. The righteous one walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And then it goes to stands not in the way of sinners. Here's the image from walking to standing. One who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, walks by the counsel, overhears it, and just keeps going. Those who stand go from a posture of walking and overhearing to standing, listening, and considering. Here we have a picture of one who stands on the path that sinners take, considering their ways. Thinking, that system, though I know is broken and fallen, that system is appealing. And then, 
the one who walks and then stops and stands, ultimately then sits. And where did this person sit? Sits in the seat of scoffers. Here the image moves from walking and overhearing, standing and considering, to sitting and participating amongst the wicked. We have someone sitting amongst the scoffers and scoffing against the Lord just like anyone else. Now, we can look at that and say, well, I would never do that. I would never be that person who decides, you know, I'm going to keep walking. I don't want to have the counsel of the wicked. I don't want to stand in the way of sinners. I don't want to sit in the seat of scoffers. I want to keep moving. I would never be tempted by the counsel of this broken world. I think, though, we need to realize that we're not as strong as we think. And that though we are, as Christians, in, uh, not of the world, we are still very much in the world. And so what is some of, what is maybe, maybe we can put some meat on these bones and ask ourselves, what is the counsel that we might be apt to hear in the world that we live in that we might be apt to believe? What kind of, what kind of system, our broken system that we live in, puts forth all kinds of ideas? And there's, a, there's, there's counsel that's constantly giving. One of the bits of counsel that's omnipresent and deadly is this. Do what feels right. That's not in the Bible. But man, that seems good. Do what feels right. And this masquerades in all kinds of different forms. Do what feels right can sometimes be said like, you only live once, have as much fun as you can. Or do what feels good. Or maybe be your authentic self. Follow your heart. Or you do you. Do what feels right is everywhere. And you know what? We live in the world that tells us, do what feels right. You do you. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what else is, what, what, what the Bible says. You do you. And it's very easy to think, yeah, maybe I should do me. Maybe that's the way I should go. So how does Psalm 1 help us with that bit of counsel? Well, Psalm 1 says that the righteous one, the happy one, the happy person, the happy man, the happy woman walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands not in the way of sinners, sits not in the seat of scoffers. See, the one who hears the counsel, you do you, walks by that counsel knowing that what feels right is not often what is right. Obedience often feels wrong and very difficult. What feels right is often the easiest and, and moves quickest away from the Lord. The happy one knows that they will not always feel like being faithful. They will not always feel like they should be faithful to their spouse or to the Lord because sometimes it just doesn't feel right. But, the happy one walks not in the counsel of you do you. The happy one also does not stand in the way of sinners. The happy one doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't, he or she doesn't seriously consider how much happier they would be if they were just able to unshackle themselves from the legalism of obedience. They look around and they say, everyone seems so happy. How could they be wrong? 
How could all of them be wrong? How can this system be that broken? How can this be true? How can this message of you do you, you do what feels good, how could that be wrong? Are all these people wrong? And they stand and consider and weigh. And then they adopt it. The happy ones don't. The others do. Then they sit in the seat of scoffers. Adopting a worldview of do what feels good or seems right causes a person to become a scoffer. Now, we think of scoffers as people who would shake their fist at God and curse him and say, I do not believe in God. I do not accept this Jesus. You are nothing to me. That's not a scoffer. I mean, that's a measure, that's a kind of scoffer. But a scoffer is somebody, is somebody who mocks God through his or her disobedience. A scoffer tells other people things about God that are not true. Not only that, a scoffer here we see sits amongst other scoffers. A scoffer says things like this. It doesn't matter if you've committed to your wife for your life. If it doesn't feel right, leave. A scoffer says, you can make as, if you just make enough money, you'll be able to buy happiness and get what you want because that feels right. A scoffer says, you can love a man and be a man and be a Christian if that's what feels right. A scoffer says, you can trust yourself even if all the Christians you know say that you're wrong. That's what scoffers say. But the happy, they do not walk in this council. They do not stand in this council. And they certainly do not sit in underneath this council. But what do they do? His, verse 2, but his or her delight is in the instruction of the Lord. And on this instruction, he meditates day and night. Instead of adopting the worldview that the world pushes out to us, what we have instead is the right, a happy one who says, I will consider instead God's word for me and not necessarily what everybody else is saying to me. And what's the effect? What happens to the happy ones? Well, verse 3 tells us the happy one becomes what? Like, verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So do you see the picture here? Those that do not walk, stand, and sit by the counsel of this broken world are like trees planted by streams of water. Now, the original audience lived in a climate much like ours. They lived in the desert. And we know... As desert dwellers, if you're here and you live in the desert, if you're not, why are you here in June? But we know as desert dwellers that it's very rare to see streams of water flowing, isn't it? When I first came to Arizona and I drove over a bridge and there was a sign that said Salt River, I looked down and I saw not, not only was there no river, I just saw dirt. We know that a bunch, of, a bunch of bridges are labeled with a bunch of names for creeks and rivers and arroyos that are currently empty, right? Why? Because it doesn't rain much. 
It rains less than eight inches a year here. And so that was the same here in Israel. Very, very little rain. Now, what in our city is always full of water? Canals, right? It's not the prettiest water. It's as brown as all get out, but it's full of water. It's full of water, and that's actually how you should render this in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by irrigation canals. doesn't have the same ring to it, right? You don't want to hang this up framed on your wall. He is like a tree planted by irrigation canals. People go, oh, that's kind of gross. But that's the idea. I, right behind my house is an irrigation canal, and that canal is always full of water. Why? Because people have dug the canal and diverted water to that canal so that we might be able to get water from that canal and, and plants and, 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 and trees and such might grow. That's the idea here. The righteous one, the happy one, is one of those people who are put down by a canal and shoot their roots down deep to tap into the water that's always there. Whether it's a time of drought or it's a time of rain or it's a time of intense heat, The water is always there for the tree to feast on. So what is the water in this picture? The water is God's word, right? The water is God's word. God's word is always nourishing and refreshing. And so what do we want to do? Do we want to plant ourselves by the counsel of the world that says, you do you, do what feels right? Or do we plant ourselves by the counsel of God's word? The psalmist is saying, be by the counsel of God's word. And what will happen? The righteous ones, the happy ones, these are the people that grow in happiness. When they're planted by this ever-flowing irrigation canal, what happens? We can see in verse 3, it yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And then we have this phrase that sounds way too good to be true. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, Let's unpack this metaphor a little bit. Now, notice that the righteous ones yield their fruit in their season. They're not constantly yielding fruit, right? The grapefruit tree in my yard does not give its fruit until November, December, January. Right now, they're just tiny little green things that are, I mean, grapefruits are gross anyway. You have to pour a ton of sugar on them, but if you pulled one off right now and tried to eat it, it wouldn't be ripe. It wouldn't be ready. Because the season, the time of harvest for the grapefruit is not yet. Now for Christians, our, har- our fruit times, our harvest times, are not annually sometimes. Sometimes it's decades of faithful walking with the Lord before fruit appears. Now who sets the season of fruitfulness. Me? Nope. You? Nope. The Lord. And he doesn't tell us the schedule, right? We don't know the schedule of our fruitfulness, but he does say, Christian, you plant yourself by the word of God, you seek to find happiness in Jesus, you will yield fruit in the season God chooses. That's the idea. And in the meantime, your leaf will not wither. What does that mean? Even though my grapefruit tree 
does not have grapefruits worth eating on it right now, the leaves are green. What is that? That means there is a sign of life still in that tree. And so the Lord is saying, stay close to, the Lord, stay close to my word and Jesus, and you will be alive. The leaf will not wither. Even though you might not be bearing fruit in the, the way that you might in the future, you are alive and you have signs of life. See, one of the primary ways that we look to please the Lord, one of the signs of life for Christians is a desire to please the Lord. If that's there in your life, if you want in some measure to please the Lord more than you want to please yourself, maybe not all the time, maybe not as much as you, as you should, maybe you recognize how, fall, how, how much you fall short, but if there is this desire inside where you want to please Him, that's something He's put in you. When you sin and you're grieved, that's a sign of life. When you're blessed and grateful, that's a sign of life. Christians, we're alive, and our, our, our leaves do not wither. And then we see, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, the kind of prospering that's promised here is not the prosperity that we're used to seeing. We see somebody drive by in a brand new car that's beautiful. We think prosperous. Or live in a mansion, we think prosperous. But that's not the idea here. Prosperity, biblically defined, has a different definition. Prosperity, biblically defined, is pleasing the Lord. It's not having all the money we want or having the body we want or the job we want or the house we want or the mental state we want or even the reputation we want. Prosperity is not measured by those things, but prosperity is measured by the fact by whether or not we seek to find our happiness in Jesus. And when we find our happiness in Him and Him alone, then we become more and more prosperous. The prosperous are the obedient. The prosperous are the faithful. The prosperous are the people who keep following Jesus even though they want to go somewhere else. That's the prosperous. Those are the prosperous. Those are the people who are courageous enough to set aside those feelings that say, this just doesn't feel right, but I know it's the right thing because I see it in the Word. Those are the people that set that aside and say, I will obey, I will follow the Lord. Those are the prosperous. And it's not... It's not a prosperity that our broken system recognizes. So the the happy, those that are in Jesus that are happy, they're like trees planted by irrigation canals that always have water. What about the other? Remember we said there are two roads, two people, the wicked and the righteous, the wicked and the happy. What about the other kind of person? What happens to them? Verse 4 tells us, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, unless I'm quite mistaken, nobody in this room has to harvest wheat to make bread just so that your family can have bread. If you're like me, you go to Costco, you go to Fry's, and your kids beg you to get white bread, and you don't. You get good wheat bread or whatever, right? So we just go to the store and get it. It's in a package. But the original audience, they would have to separate the wheat kernel from the chaff to be able to ground it into flour and then bake it into bread. Now, none of us really have a good picture in our mind of what chaff is. 
It's just about the most worthless thing possible. And so to harvest wheat, what a farmer would do would be to throw up the wheat into the air and let a breeze blow the chaff away. Now, that's hard to picture, so I found a video that does that. So here we have a gentleman pouring wheat kernels into that plastic bucket. He simulates a breeze with that fan. And you see this, this, these bits of nothing that are floating away onto the left? That's chaff. That's chaff. There it goes. There it goes. Would you think it would be worthwhile to gather that chaff up? No. That chaff, what's that meant to do? Be blown about and be heard from no more. So you seek happiness in a place other than the Lord? You're like chaff, blown about, tumbling around, forgotten. You seek the Lord? You're like a tree planted by an irrigation canal that always has nourishment. The chaff is carried out and on by the wind, never to be gathered again. It tumbles and is gone. That's what the psalmist says is the, not just the end of the wicked, but the current days of the wicked. They're blown around and over and from here to there. They're blown about. See, this is what happens Those of you who do not follow Jesus and who entrust yourself with the task, the monumental task, the impossible task of trying to make yourself happy by doing what you can to grab what you can to be happy. That's the road of wickedness. If you're not following Jesus, you will be blown here and there and all over the place. You will be searching for happiness and meaning and just be getting blown around. You will move from one thing to another. You'll say, listen, if I had more money, I would be happy. Then you get more money and you're blown somewhere else and you realize I'm not happy. If you, then you say, if I had the right kind of friends, then I would be happy. You're blown somewhere else and you, when you get the right friends, you realize that doesn't make me happy. If I had the perfect body, then I would be happy. That doesn't make you happy. What about house or what about reputation or what about fame or what about respect? And you know what? All the while you're just being blown around, never, ever having a root in yourself, never ever finding peace or happiness. Genuine happiness does not come from anything that this broken system we live in has to offer. You were made by God to want eternal, lasting things. That's why we must entrust ourselves to Jesus so that we might be happy. He is that blessed man. He is the quintessential blessed man who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, never stood in the way of sinners, never sat in the seat of scoffers, but took the place of sinners. He's like that tree planted by that stream that everyone can take shade in. See, the message of this psalm is not just to try to change the roads and make a resolve to do better or be different. This message is that you need something outside of yourself to really be happy. You will not be happy unless you follow the instruction of the Lord that leads you to Jesus Christ. Aside from Him, you will not be happy. And worse, you'll be blown around without a root in yourself. We've seen our happiness 
Our happiness starts with the instruction of the Lord. Secondly, we get a glimpse of our end, and that end is judgment. It'd be foolish to consider the road we're on without thinking about where the road ends up. One popular author says, When all is said and done, all roads lead to the same end. It's not so much which road you take as how you take it. False. It's all about taking the right road. The road to happiness is marked by the instruction of the Lord that leads to ultimate happiness. The road to futility is guided by our own sensibilities of what seems right, and that leads to death. Look at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see the difference? One road leads to a gathering of the righteous into an assembly. Another road leads to death. See, this is where as Christians we must understand this. We must understand this. We must recognize that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This doesn't just mean that he's aware of us. It doesn't just mean that he's vaguely aware of you and your path. That's not the idea here. This word know means something much deeper. It means he cares for you. It means he's concerned about you. It means he's invested in you. It means he loves you. One day he will reward you. So the wrong question is to ask, am I righteous enough? No. The right question is, do I trust Jesus? Only Jesus was righteous enough. The only reason one day we will be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous is because Jesus was struck struck down, though he was righteous. He had every right to expect only a happy life, but he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So that we might not die, but live. Entrust yourself to Jesus and be happy. You know what's hard for us as Christians? In some ways, it's easy to say, trust Jesus and you will experience eternal life. It's easy, easier, to trust the Lord with your eternity than it is with your present happiness. That's harder. Maybe it's just me, but that's tough. I can, I can take great comfort in the fact that one day I'll be with Jesus. But am I willing, am I willing to entrust him with my happiness today? That's what this is telling us to do. See, we will not be happy. We will not be joyful. We will not be that person if we don't entrust ourselves and our happiness to Jesus. Recently, I was talking to someone who knows me well. This person's not a Christian. And I was sharing the gospel. And this person said, said to me something that really hit home. He said, if Jesus has changed everything for you, why aren't you more joyful? And I was like, yeah, good question. Why not? 
You know why? At least for me, and maybe this is your, the case for you. You know why? Because my eyes are on the wrong place. I'm thinking about how I feel or what might happen to me. I'm considering those circumstances that might come my way. I'm considering my hardships and my trials and the pain that I have physically and maybe the pain I have relationally or things from the past or regrets or sin or those kinds of things. I consider those things, and those things don't move me to joy. Those things move me instead to a sullenness and a sadness and a moroseness. But what this person reminded me of is that I have every reason to be joyful. I have every reason to be happy because I can see that in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, no longer are my sins held against me. Though I have sinned in many different ways, these sins do not disqualify me from the inheritance of the saints, not because I'm worthy, but because Christ has taken my place. These, I have been blessed in Jesus Christ with not just a hope for today, but a hope forever. I know that I can entrust myself to Him completely and He will never leave me, nor will He forsake me. I also know that He will work everything out in my life for my good, may, if I under, even if I don't understand it. And so you know what? I have every reason to be happy. And so do you, if you're a Christian. We can entrust our happiness to Jesus. Don't entrust your happiness to your job, to your education, to your grades, to your kids. Definitely not your kids. Your spouse. Don't entrust your happiness to your health. Don't entrust your happiness to your future prospects or your vacation. Only Jesus. If you entrust your happiness anywhere else, being understood, and being liked, and being loved. If you entrust your happiness in anywhere else, you will not be happy. That's the irony, right? We entrust our happiness to Jesus and say, only you can satisfy. Without you, I have nothing. With you, I can be happy. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a happy church. We have every reason to be happy and more than we're apt to be thinking about. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help me, Lord. Lord, as the one who's tasked to, to lead and, 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 and preach and the privilege it is to be able to lead these wonderful people, Lord, I pray that you would help me to be happy, Lord. Help me to take my eyes off my own situation Take my eyes off hardships. Take my eyes off those things I don't understand. And put my eyes instead on you, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who plant ourselves firmly next to the water of your word and, 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 and stand there and take our stand against this culture and not be angry or vindictive or, or contentious, but instead be loving and kind and, 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 and swear ourselves to Jesus pledging allegiance to him, even entrusting him with our happiness. Lord God, Lord God, help us not to entrust anything so precious as our happiness anywhere else but in your Son. In your name we pray.
Amen.